Well, Father, I just thank you for this night. I thank you for an opportunity to worship you. Lord, I thank you for the work you're doing in my own heart when it comes to joy. Lord, I I want it to be said of us that we are one happy people, not because of something that's happened to us, not because of any of those things, but because of what you did for us, that we have fostered your joy. Father, thank you so much that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. And Lord, as your people, we want to be Christ-like. So show us how to have joy even in circumstances that don't add up, that don't look right. Help us to, to know what true joy is, not just some fleeting momentary affliction that we, that we seek out and that we look for. Lord, I ask that my words tonight be your words. And let what you say be heard. Prepare our hearts, all of our hearts, to hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Now, last week, I needed these desperately, so I put them up here with me tonight. Maybe I won't be sniffing all the time. So, this message started from a a chapter in Romans. And about how we can be joyful, how we can be celebratory even in hard times. But it, it, it's, it's that alert expectancy. I love the way that's, that's written, the alert expectancy of what we look for. And we're combining that with an Advent series. If you don't know what Advent is, why would we do an Advent series? Well, we, we do an Advent series because you can't think about everything all the time. I've tried. How many of you have tried to think about more than two or three things at once? Your eyes go that direction and you just can't even walk. I'm doing good to chew gum and walk, much less try to think about more than one thing at a time. Well, hundreds of years ago, centuries and centuries ago, honestly, the church started taking seasons in the calendar. And Advent is the season leading up to when we celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I think that it's good to have a season where you focus on certain things because I can kind of tend to be one of those people that, oh, there's a squirrel over there. I want to go think about that. I want to go study that out for a little while. Hey, don't laugh too hard. He's thinking about the squirrel and the deer hunting story. No. There you go. My last experience with the squirrel. See, there you go, a squirrel. I want to start talking about hunting again. They can they can really sound like a deer. Anyway, so that this makes my point. We really want to spend some time thinking about the resurrection, thinking about the incarnation. What is the incarnation? The incarnation is when Jesus Christ came to Earth in the form of a man fully God and fully human. He knows what we go through, yet he he withheld sin the whole time. He, He became, because of his sinless life, he became our, the price paid for us. 
So I think we need to spend a, a few weeks thinking about the incarnation. You know, we, we have plenty of opportunity this time of year. And I, there's a few of us in here, and I hate to identify as this, but a few of us in here are of that millennial generation. I'm a very old millennial, but I still hit that, I guess. Well, we can be cynical. How many of you have ever been cynical? I know I have. Like, is that really real? Why do we really? Hallmark did this, right? Just so they could sell more cards, right? Because sometimes it just seems like this time of year is all about everything we can buy, everything we can get, everything, you know, we want to give, but then we feel condemned because we can't give what we want to give. And so we're taking our focus off of what the time of year is all about, the incarnation of Jesus. So that's why we're taking a few weeks and taking a deep breath and going, okay, we're going to look at Advent. We're going to look at the coming, the the appearing, the arrival of Jesus. Because he has arrived, but he will arrive again. You know, he's coming back, and I believe he's coming back for a beautiful bride. I don't think Jesus is, is coming back for an, an ugly chick. I said it. Our job is, is to be embracing his grace. Not to do it of our own strength, but our job is to embrace his grace because when we embrace his grace, we become that beautiful bride. And he will arrive. He already has, but he's going to appear again. You know, the other reason we look at this is because we have some stolen holy days. Our holidays, it really goes back to what was a holy day. And in the year about A.D. 200, somewhere in there, the church said, you know, we need to really celebrate the birth of our Christ, the birth of our Lord, because without that, we'd be in a mess. And we'll read later about how his kingdom has increased and increased and will never cease to increase. So just think about that. It started somewhere in the Middle East. And it just spread like wildfire. There was no internet. There was no cell phones. And it has been spreading like wildfire for 2,000 years. And it will continue to spread. And I'm, I'm telling you, he's coming back for a beautiful bride. I'm excited by his return. So we want to focus on Jesus, the incarnation, the person that is hope. Again, I'm going to say this again. He is the person that is hope, peace, joy, and love. That is Jesus. Let's let him define what those words mean to us because our definition of them can be pretty hollow. It's like, what is salvation? Is it you punch in the card to go to heaven one day? Well, that's part of it. Sure, yeah, we get to go to heaven one day. We get to be with Jesus at the right hand of God one day. But it also means that we are invited into the restoration process now his kingdom that is here now. It means that we can live in health. It means that we we don't have to live in poverty. It means all of these things. Salvation means so much more than what we try to make it out to be. So let's start with our our main text in Romans. I'm going to be reading out of the Message Bible. It can be pretty wordy. I I like the way it says this. I go through several different versions of the Bible. I, I like to go to the old King James and the ESV and the NLT and the message. And I like to get 
as broad a perspective on the Word of God as I can. I love going back to the original um, Greek and the, the, and the Hebrew, and the, the person who actually translated this into the message is, is somebody who, who did that, who went back to the Greek and Hebrew and tried to put it in our common vernacular of the day. So here's how we, how we start. By entering in through faith into what God had, has always wanted for us to do, set us right with Him and make us fit for Him. We have it all together with God because our Master Jesus, and that's not all. We throw open the door to God and discover at the same moment He has already thrown open His door to us. We find ourselves standing where we had always hoped we might, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Doesn't something happen to you when you stand up and you praise God? I'm thankful we have a worship team. That makes it pretty easy for us when somebody can lead us in it. But you know, we need to, we need to learn, even when we're on our own, to praise God, to worship Him. I, I love worship music. But my favorite thing, and I, I'm learning this about myself, my favorite thing to do when there's, there's worship playing is, is read the scriptures. I don't know what happens to my brain, but it just, everything makes sense all of a sudden. So I don't know where that is for you, but we need to learn to stand out and shout our praise to God. But here's where it gets good, even when you've had a day like I've had today. There's more to come. We continue to, to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. It's that first time that word alert is used there. In alert expectancy such as this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. We can go back to the prophet Isaiah. I believe it's in the eighth chapter. He talks about how If we trust in God, we will never be disappointed. In fact, if we do find ourselves in disappointment and we stay there, that can be a stumbling block. That can actually literally lead us to stumbling over Jesus himself. Because we need to trust our Father. So, in alert expectancy such as this, we are never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. We're going to revisit this here in a little bit. But we're going to review the last couple of weeks quickly. Hope. We started the series with why is hope important? Because hope is how we deal with waiting. Hope is how we deal with knowing that As good as God is, and all that he is pouring out on us, not everything is perfect in our life today. If you're like me, not everything in your life is perfect today either. But I have the hope, and Jesus is my hope. Another thing that that waiting does, it reveals that we're not in control. We hate waiting. That's why we need hope. Because we can't stand hating. If you, could ha- if you could have what you wanted right now, you'd have it. But you're not in control to get that. 
Now, we can walk with God. We can read his scriptures. We can read his expert advice, and we can, we can get closer and closer, and he's transforming us. He's molding us from the inside out into his image. But yet, I'm still waiting to be complete, completely molded into his image because I'm not there yet. Waiting forces us to be aware of our need and our lack of control. Again, we think that if we get what we want, when we want it, it must be God's perfect plan. I've got to tell you, sometimes his plan involves a whole lot of waiting. <clears throat> when the prophet even prophesied of, of Jesus' arrival, it was hundreds of years, like 700 years before, and yet they're still walking it out, waiting in hope. So God's, God's perfect plan sometimes involves us waiting a little while. Hope is a proper perspective of the future we can have a, so that we can have a positive attitude in the present. So that was our first week. Second week, we looked at shalom, peace. And that's our focus for the second week of Advent. Our, our scripture there was John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my own peace. I now give and bequeath you. Not as the world get, gives do I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. And do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. We need that peace. When we, when we foster that peace in us, it's a, it's a remedy for a polluted heart. And we're called to guard our hearts. But that, that fostering of peace and, and, and leaning into peace and allowing God to wash his peace over us and that trust, it's a remedy for a, a troubled heart. So the word peace is often an incomplete picture. In the, the Hebrew, shalom, it's a word meaning peace, harmony, wholeness, and completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. I mean, it, it's used the same in hello and goodbye. So does that sound like a little more than the peace that we've, how we've defined it in our own lives? Where we just go, oh, I just feel, I feel good, I feel at rest. Well, that's part of it, but it's incomplete. Because it also means completeness. That's God's kind of peace. So one more thing. God's kingdom will never decrease. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government, and of what? Peace. There will be no end. We need to go back to that definition completeness, prosperity, all of those definitions. That's what will not end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So says the prophet Isaiah. So today, that was all review. Um, today we're going to look at joy. 
Joy is a hard thing. Because a lot of times, especially in our culture, we are seeking something to make us feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good. But but we're looking for a person. We're looking for a, a thing. We're looking for a place. We're looking for an experience. We chase these things. And then all of a sudden we get we get these things. We finally find that that person. We finally find that house or that job. And the very next day we realize that wasn't what I was looking for. You still have an emptiness. So if you've lived long enough, I know we have our, our youth in here tonight, but if you've lived long enough. You've sought joy, you've looked for joy, and you found yourself again disappointed. So what's the solution? It, if you're like a lot of us that, I, I was joking a while ago, that in that <clears throat> stereotypical millennial way that is so jaded, we do this. We prepare our hearts for disappointment because it seems easier if we were already ready to be disappointed. Like we set ourselves up to be disappointed so that we won't have to deal with disappointment. That's just dumb, guys. I'm as guilty of it as the rest of us. But that's just terrible. We, we look for the worst in things so that we can pull back a little bit and go, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'm just going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. If you are setting yourself up for disappointment, if you are, are preparing your heart to receive disappointment, disappointment is a dam in a river of God's living water. And your soul will not be refreshed if that's where you approach God. If that's where you approach life, your, your soul is not going to be refreshed. So we're going to read a psalm of ascent. This is our main scripture for the night. We're going to read it in a couple of versions, but it is a song of ascent. This is one of the scriptures that the, the Israelites, every year when they were headed up to the city, and it was an uphill trek, that they read these, these songs, and they sung these songs. So I know my own kids, they love music. Is it just the beat that you like? No, it, it's the lyrics. The lyrics, gets, lyrics, the words, they get stuck in your head. So that's probably, that, that's part of even why we have songs in the book of Psalms. It's so that they'll stick in our heads. I mean, how, have you, how many of you have a, a favorite musician and you turn the, the song on and you just, you wake up the next day singing that song, singing those lyrics? That's why it's important that we do that with the scriptures, that we do that with the word of God. That's how it was written. So they'd be headed up this trek, and they'd be, they would be singing as they're on their way to Jerusalem about how God is going to save them and about how, what God's going to do and about his faithfulness. Sometimes they sung about their sorrows and their trouble because they were real people too. So let's start in Psalm 126.1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, 
they were Zion. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled up with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nation, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. How many of you want to be a people that, that the world looks to you and goes, there is something going on with them. It's got to be God. They've got, a, they've got a corner on God. I want, to, I, want, I want people to look at that and then, then come talk to us and go, hey, we don't have a corner on God. This is available to all of us. But his loving mercies show that. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. We're joyful. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like streams and then a give. So evidently, even on their way, they're asking God to restore their fortunes, so they must not have them yet, but yet they're still joyful. They're still waiting on God. They're still hopeful. They're expectant. They're alert in their expectation. They're going to Jerusalem. They're going to the, they're going to the temple. We don't have to go to the temple anymore. We are the temple. But at that point in time, they, this is a couple of times a year. They went to the temple, and that's where God had, had written a covenant and said, I will meet you here. And so they were joyful. We have that with us daily now in the new covenant. So to restore our fortunes, O oh Lord, like the streams and the Negev, the desert. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. There's so much here, guys. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in his sheaths with him. Can you imagine... You, know, you couldn't order from Amazon then. You had so much grain, and you had to be pretty smart with it. Some of it you had to grind up for bread. But if you ate all of your grain and didn't plant it, you wouldn't have a harvest the next year. So when it's talking about going out and sowing in tears, it's going, maybe you're hungry when you're sowing. Maybe you're hungry when you're planting that seed. You're going, God, this is hard. The weeping. But what he's talking about when we do this in the kingdom of God, the harvest and the sowing, it becomes almost instantaneous. There is a waiting. There's always a waiting. But there's a pregnancy there. And I'm telling you, the more you sow, the more you get to, to harvest. This is free, but if you need honor in your life, if people aren't honoring you, so honor. If you need finances, so finances. If you need discipline, so discipline. If whatever it is, if you see a need in it, sow it into the lives of others. Help somebody else, and you'll receive that harvest. So joy comes from Jesus. I don't believe it can come from anywhere else. 
comes from the person Jesus, from God, Jesus. Luke 144 is traditional in the Christmas story. It says, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, this is Elizabeth, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So even Jesus, when he was in Mary's stomach, was bringing joy to those around him. It's like, because there's something different when you really get joy. But joy is something we carry, nurture, and anticipate, anticipate regardless of the circumstances. People, events, and status, pleasure, and things cannot be the source of lasting joy. In the counseling, first off, I ran into this in my own life. I love big events. I love planning for big things. And even when I was a kid, I loved Christmas time. I couldn't wait for Christmas. I couldn't wait to get a gift. And, and I'd dream. I'd have, I laugh at Cohen nowadays because he gets his Lego catalog and he goes, oh, I need, that. I need that one and that one. And I'd go through the Sears catalog and I'd be like, See, I'm not all millennial. I still remember those. So I'd go through that, and I would find everything I thought I needed, everything I thought I had to have. And I'd be so excited for Christmas. I just could not wait. My mom is a giver, and I was her boy. So Christmas was going to be good for me. And I knew that. And I dream about everything that would come my way. But what was so funny is the event would come and go and none of the stuff had made me any better. It hadn't taken away any of my issues. It was fun for a season. I was thankful for it. But I kind of started to to dread those big events. I'm like, why am I always depressed the day after a big event? You know what's funny? Sometimes a bride's most depressing day is the day after her wedding. It's, it's true. We're living for a moment. We're living for an arrival rather than a relationship. Think about that. We, we think that because we're saved, because God's going to do this big thing for us, that it's all going to be smooth sailing. And yet, after that event, we've sought the event, we've sought that, we've, we've sought some sort of arrival, some sort of checkpoint, even with Jesus, and we forget that it's a relationship. And it's that relationship that really brings joy. You know why? You know why it's a relationship that brings joy? It's just like a marriage. You spend time with Jesus, and you're intimate with Jesus. You're implanted with something. Guess what joy is? It's a fruit of the Spirit. That seed has to come from Jesus. You can't, you can't conjure it up. You can't make believe. You can't fake it till you make it. But you can prepare your life to be fertile. Because joy can't be conjured up. It's not a fleeting wish. <clears throat> Cultivating the Negev. 
cultivating the desert. Something interesting happens in that, in that verse that it, it said about the waters coming onto the Negev. It's a desert. It's a dry place. But what happens is, is the wind and, and, and things, they make these indentions, troughs, almost dry riverbeds, if you will. A couple of interesting things happen there. The, the seeds and the, everything just kind of naturally soaks in there. Well, what happens in monsoon season? The rains come. And these troughs, these, these furrows in the desert, they become oases. It's like the water rushes through these things. And it brings life. The seed was already there, and now there's life springing up from the desert place. So sometimes our lives, they are that desert place. If we want to foster joy, we have to know where it comes from. It comes from the living water. And again, disappointment is a dam to the living water reaching our dry soul that's in need of lasting joy. So if we're setting us up, ourselves up for disappointment, we're going to find it. Disappointment and sorrow are part of life. Yeah? But we can't stay there. We can't live there forever. I told you, I've had one of those days. We live in a, in a world that's broken. I lost a really good friend of mine Monday, and I've been struggling with it all week. Another friend in the hospital sick, been struggling with that. I can't heal them, but God's grace can. So what does that tell me? It tells me I'm not in control, and I need hope. I need peace, and I need to, I need to foster joy in my life. I told you, with Darren, it's like, I'm so excited. I'm excited about his healing. I'm excited this is going to happen. And yet my friend, I don't know if he knew Jesus. So there's sorrow. But I know in my own life, I'm going to do everything I can to share Jesus. And I think if, if people can see us living a little differently. They're going to go, who is that people over there? Does God just have favor on them? What is this? It's because we trust him with our lives. So joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And with any fruit, there is a season of pregnancy. About half of us in here have four children. Not always a fun season. Because despite what common culture, modern culture says, <laughs> if you've born a child, you know good and well that that was not your body. Your body was actually having to give way for another life coming to be. There's a season of pregnancy. There was a season of even dying to yourself. There was a season of you were eating and you weren't reaping the reward of all the nutrients you were eating. But it's a season, and the seed is good, and the seed will be born. 
Lasting joy must be nurtured with a trust of his promises. It goes back to that farmer that he's going out and he's planting the seed in faith. And and every seed is faith. Amen? Think about it. You've got this little ball in your hand. You go, I'm going to eat from this one day, but right now I've got to put it in the ground. I've got to trust the Creator. I've got to trust that He's good. That I put it in the ground, it's going to give me a harvest. Every night, my my kids, one of them in particular, he he wants he wants to please us. He wants to please God, and he prays desperately every night for the fruit of the Spirit. And I have to say it every night. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And he'll name some nights which ones he really needs. And I was telling him the other day, I said, you know, you've got to spend time with Jesus for those things to come out. Because time with him sets our flesh aside. He told me one night, oh, I need self-control. I just can't stop myself sometimes. Yeah, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. But it's only through a relationship with Jesus that those things turn around. How, How do we have a relationship with Jesus? Is it just coming to church? It helps. But is it just worship? It helps. I know how I approach Jesus, and this is in prayer. It's in relationship, just like I'm talking to you right now. Only he talks back sometimes. I know I sound crazy, but like I really feel like I hear him sometimes, and I believe I do. So it's, it's that relationship with him. We don't understand what does relationship with Jesus look like. Talk to him. You're no crazier than the rest of us. It's okay. You can you can talk to Jesus out loud. Be surprised one day when in your spirit he's speaking back to you. But as we nurture, as we prepare, we go, God, I'm waiting on on the monsoon. I believe what your word said. And I'm pulling every seed that's not of you up that I can. And I want to plant your word. I want to be joyful. I want to be happy when there is no reason to be happy. Because there's always a reason. It's the reason we celebrate this season. It simply is a, a, a lack of, of, of awareness on our part. And I really believe that anticipated with alert expectancy is how we find joy. We expect it. We expect that God's going to 
going to walk us out into it because Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for a sacrificial, sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. For we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for before we move on. When I say we prepare ourselves, it's in humility. It's saying that, hey, God's grace is the only way I'm going to have joy. Because we were too weak and rebellious, and he still met us where we're at. So we'd understand why dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless, selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. He puts this seed in us. He puts this in us for our own good and for the good of the world around us because we're his kids. We can't pay him back. Psalm 126 in the Message Bible says this, It seemed like a dream. It was too good to be true. When God returned Zion's exiles, we laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought stricken lives so that those who planted their crops in despair will shout and hurrahs at the harvest, so that those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. If we want to see a restored life and world, we must intimately know the Restorer. As the worship team comes to prepare for communion, One more scripture I wanted to read. Romans 14, 16 says this. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. That preparing for disappointment. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy with the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for the mutual upbuilding. Father, we thank you that your joy is in us and the seed of your joy is, is surrounding us. Where we've been dry, where we've been feeble, where we have prepared ourselves for disappointment instead of joy, we ask that you pour out your living water on us. 
We expect it. We expect that you are good. We know that you work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Father, we just thank you that we can live in steadfast joy. Help us to help us to show our faces sometimes. Show us when we take ourselves too seriously. When we get a Messiah complex, remind us that we need a wait and we need a trust and we need a hope because you're in control. Father, we thank you. We bless your holy name.